0: Another episode of Bridging Chicago. During episode 15 of this season, we spoke with Ellen Ray, the CEO of Chicago Cares, and Cecile DiMello, a member of the board of directors of Chicago Cares and the executive director of Teamwork Inglewood. Episode 30 connected us with Rob Pabone, a manager of strategic partnership with Chicago Cares and Joelle Rodriguez, one of the organizers of Southwest Organizing Project, also known as SWAP. On this episode of Bridging Chicago, we continue our series with Chicago Cares and one of their partner organizations by welcoming Patricia Islas, a manager of strategic partnership with Chicago Cares, and Fabian Cisnaros, the community engagement and economic development manager of Northwest Side Community Development Corporation. Welcome, Patricia and Fabian.
1: Thank you for having Thank you. Me. Thank you.
0: Patricia, um, maybe we could start with you. So why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? And are you from Chicago? Um, what facilitated your interest in working in the not-for-profit sector? And sure. about your role with Chicago Cares.
1: Oh, definitely. Thank you. Um, I would love to speak about that. Um, so I always say that I'm I'm like a sandwich with a little bit of bread, peanut butter, and jelly. Okay. Uh, the reason for that is um, I was born in a little village here in Chicago, but I spent most of my childhood life up until the early 20s in a small town that maybe some of you have heard, um, Janesville, Wisconsin. Oh, yes. Um, the reason that we moved out there when I was very young is because my father got transferred to the General Motors plant in Janesville, Wisconsin. So They're doing a lot of transferring that uh, they either chose Wisconsin or Texas. We chose Janesville because we still have a lot of family and roots here in Chicago. My aunts yeah. are here, my cousins are here. And so that's where I grew up um, most of my childhood life up until the age of 20. So we would travel back and forth, Chicago, to Janesville to visit Mm -hmm. my aunts and my cousins. Um, But we were the first Mexican family to arrive in Janesville. And I think that it was a huge, huge culture shock for my parents and my older brothers. Um, And so that's where I also, during my probably early 20s, started to think about where do I want my adulthood life to be? um, Where is it that I want to be able to maybe have a family of my own. And that's where I made a decision that, you know what, I want to, I want to go back to Chicago and really, really be able to, um, um, be there, uh, and have more of a kind of my roots are there and my family's there. So be able to continue to be in Chicago and have a place where I can call home. Yes. And so, so yeah.
0: So what started your interest in that, in the not-for-profit sector?
1: Yeah, so um, when we were in Janesville, um, I witnessed a lot of racism and discrimination. Um, My mother would come home from work and she would say, I got let go again. I got fired again. It's like, well, what? You know, you know, I was really little. And i was like, what do you mean you got fired again? She's like, well, uh, I got let go because they said I didn't speak up. She would always say proper enough English. You know, we come from a Mexican, Latino family, household, immigrant background and so, the number of times that she got fired at work, I had to, you know, I said to myself, there's gotta be something that needs to be done. You can't just be firing someone for not speaking the language, could you? I was always curious about that when I was, you know, little. And so, when I started to go into my uh, college journey in Madison, Wisconsin, is when I started to open up my eyes a little bit and find out more about labor rights, workers' rights. And what it means to have a voice in the workplace and what it looks like to be able to have a union. So my father, um, you know, at that time, the UAW United Auto Workers, he was part of a union. And I always asked myself, well, everyone else should be able to have a union and have a voice at the work in their workplaces. And so that's where I started to think about more during college and being very involved in the uh, on campus, so there was a workers' rights center, not even a five minute walk for where our campus was. And I decided to start volunteering at this workers' rights center. And that's where um, my background started in doing labor union organizing and community organizing. And that's mm-hmm. where I started to become more interested in working for the non-for-profit sector and looking at being able to support work that involves community voice and community engagement.
0: So, your experience in college, your first um, volunteer um, so to speak, kind of sparked the fire for the future for you.
1: Yes, that was my first volunteer experience um, doing service at the Workers' Rights Center. Really, um, it was a way, it was an eye-opening for me. I was able to make connections with workers from many different parts of the Central America, Latin American country. I was able to Also, I think part of our Chicago Cares background is it gave me me an opportunity to uh, build awareness around what are workers' rights issues and the different ways that workers have rights in the workplace as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Tell us about your role with Chicago Cares.
1: Yeah, so my role at Chicago Cares, I'm the manager of strategic partnerships. So I hold relationships with uh, three different communities. Um, The three are... One is in North Lawndale, Hermosa, which is next door to Logan Square, and then our amazing Belmont-Craigian neighborhood um, as well. And so at Chicago Cares, it's important to follow our community partners. And so I truly believe in relationship building with our community partners. That's something that we also believe in at Chicago Cares. So I build relationships, I hold relationships, with these three main neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. Um, and with that, we're able to kind of follow the lead. It's really important to follow the lead of our community partners. So I'm, I'm able to be an active listener and yes. think about ways that we can strategize around some of the work that we could do to support around service with our volunteers.
0: So Fabian, let's, let's learn a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and What facilitated your interest in working in the not-for-profit sector?
2: Yeah, um, thank you. So I uh, am gonna start off by saying that I am not from Chicago. Uh, I was actually born in Arkansas and I grew up like my entire childhood and um, part of my adult life going up to uh, the age of 22. And uh, Mm -hmm. so growing up in Arkansas, very much similar to you, Patty. Like we were one of the only Hispanic um, families in in Arkansas in my area growing up. Uh, until things started to like diversify a little bit, and then I moved to a different city that was about forty minutes away, and it was very it was predominantly white. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And you know, I really like my course of action was originally going to be, and I say this because like the headquarters of Walmart is in in my hometown Bentonville. And so the course of action was just to, you know, go to college, get a good job at Walmart. And I, you know, was in my last semester of the University of Arkansas and just kind of thought, I don't know if this is necessarily what I want to do. And I think in that moment or in in that time frame, I remember really talking to my mom about, like, what it was like to go from Mexico to the United States and, um, you know, how different, you know, Mexico was to 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 where we were living now and like the reasons why she moved there and talking about wanting to create a better life for me and my brother. And, um, right, I think that kind of like reframed like what work is to me is like it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is monetary, right? And so I actually ended up getting um, a position at what's called the Student Conservation Association and I moved to Mm -hmm. Alaska. And I was a okay. conservationalist, um, and I got to work with uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. I, from there, like, was it was jumping off point into, um, I guess that technically was like a nonprofit. Um, and so I then went to Maryland for a while. I went to Utah um, and worked at Arches National Park. And in those moments, like, I was living in my car, just kind of exploring and um, really trying to be as minimal as possible. And, um, but it sounds like
0: a great experience.
2: Oh it, yeah, it was. I mean, uh, the like the views, the landscapes. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of them are on my phone, right? They've taken photos of them, but yeah. they're indescribable. Like I, I, don't have the words to like, you know, tell you what it was like to climb up a mountain and see this, this viewpoint. And um, but in that, in those moments, like I really got to just think a lot about you know the work mm-hmm. that I want to do and the the impact that I want to eventually make um and and a lot of that stemming from my childhood of like right we didn't have a lot of things growing up and so like what are you know what are resources or where can you meet people where they're at um to you know uplift them and so when the pandemic happened um i was in utah at the time and i finished my work scope there but i remember thinking of like right there is a world like a global pandemic going on but as always right this is going to burden our black and brown and indigenous folks far greater than it would ever to white people. Um, and, I, you know, I hate to say, you know, just say it plainly like that, but that, that's how, that's how it always goes. And so I remember thinking like, what if my mom or what if my brother right were who are a little better off now, but like back then, right. What if it happened um, when I was a child? And so that really stemmed the, the need to, um, want to work predominantly in a Hispanic community. Um, mm-hmm. and and wanting to, you know, be in Chicago, I uh, just interviewed, I, I became an AmeriCorps Vista, uh, and with my current organization, the Northwest Side CDC, uh, which is okay. a little easier to say than Community Development Corporation. Um so you <laughs> yeah. can use our show hand if you'd like. Um,
0: okay.
2: But uh, yeah, so uh, being an AmeriCorps Vista, I did a lot of uh, background and data work of like, you know, we were a fairly new organization, I think we were uh, up and running for about a year and a half, we had just gotten an executive director that was six months earlier than I was. And so it was really like, okay, what impact do we want to make? And so the, the work that I did was a lot of, you know, finding where the course of action we should go, you know, led by my executive director, and then I would find data to back that up. Is that actually the way we should do it? Or, you know, getting new banners in the neighborhood, like creating a sense of community, like, making sure that there's resident engagement in everything that we do.
0: So was that part of your training from AmeriCorps VISTAs?
2: Um, or- yes and no. I think it it, it was more of like the um, just making sure that we were building capacity in the organization that we were at. Um, okay. But really, I do attribute a lot of my professional development and my community uh, organizing experience with the Northwest Side CDC, uh, and then our partner organization, the Northwest Center. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Fabian, can you tell us more about uh, Northwest Side CDC and its mission?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think our our tagline is development without displacement. Um, mm-hmm. And we really, our mission is to provide resources to the Northwest side of Chicago, but very specifically and very intentionally uh, on belmont Cragen. And that okay. is through the use of uh, business advising, um, different resources that we have through classes, through incubators, which we could talk about later. Uh, and then also landlords and tenants uh, and just making sure that both sides know their rights and mm-hmm. right, creating a relationship that is, healthy as opposed to one overbearing the other. Um, right. And, so you
0: work with both sides of the both sides of the, um, the party, the tenant, as well as the landlord. Right.
2: Yeah. Making sure that, you know, landlords know their responsibilities um, and the mm-hmm. tenants know their rights. Um, but also just, you know, these are different ways that we're trying to uh, make sure that we can keep affordable housing in in belmont um, then Well,
0: tell us a little bit more about the, the neighborhood.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, where it's
0: located and, and um, you know, are there a lot of businesses? Is it mostly residential?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, belmont Cragin is uh, north of Austin and to the west of Logan Square and, and Mosa. Um, we are the largest uh, Latina population in all of Chicago um, with 82,000 residents. About 80, 80% are uh, La- uh, Latina or Hispanic. Um, and you know, 30% of the neighborhood is under the age of 19. Um, and we are the second highest in, um, undocumented, um, you know, residents to Chicago. And so we, um, though work that we do, uh, is primarily focused on that, uh, Latina population. Um, and it is mainly residential. Um, we do have a mix of a lot of like. Uh, convenience stores, corner stores, um, but really what has thrived in the last couple of years is restaurants. And I think the reason for that is because belmont Cragin is so diverse. Like we are not like, um, while we do predominantly have uh, a Mexican population, we like to think of uh, belmont Cragin as like all of Latin America in one place. We have, okay. you know, it, it is um, majority. So it's about 80% uh, Mexican, but then it's uh, about 10% Puerto Rican. It's 3% Ecuadorian, 3% Guatemalan, 3% Peruvian, um, and it, you know the list goes on and on. We have a lot of Colombian restaurants. We have uh, El- 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 El Salvadorian restaurants. We have Brazilian restaurants, and so um, you know we, the restaurants that we have in those businesses are very very diverse. And so for that reason. Um, we try to show that to the residents that live here, but also, uh, any visitors that want to come, uh, and just visit and they be able to experience something a little different.
0: And how do you like showcase your restaurants? How do you, um, you know, let your residents know that the businesses are there and they, they need their support.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sorry to clarify, are you talking about like, how do we do outreach to businesses or how do we show residents yes. about these existing businesses?
0: Both. Both. Okay.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of it is um, just going to businesses in, in hand or creating relationships with residents that already live here that know of other residents or other businesses and making sure that okay. they know, you know, hey, uh, I heard you have a really good relationship with these businesses. Can you reach out and can you, um, you know, here are our cards, here is our pamphlets, so that you know, uh, they know, and you can spread the word about the resources that we have. Um, knowing that, again, we want to meet people where they're at, and so sometimes it's meeting them at their businesses and having meetings there, or sometimes it's calling, e- you know, it, there's a digital divide in belmont Cragen and so email doesn't always work, but we can call, we can text, um, again, we right. can walk into places, um, and so we really try to be very active in our community or with other community partners who know of relationships to make sure that we are finding these nooks and crannies. And it's the same way with artists that we have um, is we work with schools, we work with uh, the park districts, we work with other community residents to see, hey, you know, we are looking to have an event and we would love to have um, a Guatemalan band. So we'll go to Guatemalan restaurants and say, hey, do you, do you personally know of anybody that plays music and would like to have this opportunity? Um, so that's the outreach that we do. But in terms of letting people know like, oh, there are these businesses, we um, try and create like robust marketing through like, uh, we have the Corridor Ambassador Program who are out in the community cleaning, saying hi to businesses, surveying them, just making sure that they have what they need and they feel safe. But they also have a TikTok account and they they create videos for free um, to these residents or to these businesses um, with their permission, of course. And uh, you know, again, meeting them where they're at, they may, the businesses may not have a TikTok account, but Caps does. And so they can take these okay. videos and, you know, they have a, a robust following, but then with residents, that's kind of where I come in uh, with my, with our special events. And so we have like, for example, a Mercado series where we convert unexpected places into uh, one-time activations um, and we turn them into Latin markets. And so we work with <laughs> Um, retail and uh, small vendors that don't have a storefront, um, mm-hmm. but they you know have an opportunity to showcase their work and their products to the community. We work with artists that uh, may have small gigs, right? But now they get the opportunity to perform to 12, 13, 1400 residents uh, throughout, the, right. throughout the night. Um, and then our food-based businesses as well, where they might want to explore new ways of you know, new revenue streams of like, oh, maybe I can cater, maybe I can do this, or here's a new product like a a concha sandwich, which is a concha ice cream, and then the second half of the concha on top, right? Um, Something that we don't know will work or not, but they want to test these out. And so it's a really nice relationship where residents now get a beautiful community event where they get to experience and just kind of have fun for a night. Um, And then the businesses get to um, try out a product or get their name out. And, you know, again, being intentional about how we do things like we do night markets, um, because a lot of our residents may work in the mornings or they may work in the afternoons. And so by working it you know, later in the night, six to 10, four to 10, um, they're able to go home, relax, grab their families, and then, you know, still be able to experience this event that isn't just in the mornings.
0: So you try to accommodate everybody's schedule. At some absolutely
2: point. yeah or you know the ones that matter which are our residents
0: right exactly
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: um i just wanted to circle back a little bit and, yes um how does northwest side cdc support tenants and and support landlords what what do you do to to uh facilitate
2: right absolutely like so a, we we a, do have some rental counselors um who uh can take cases and so if, a landlord is having a uh, res- a, a tenant that is, you know, being problematic or that is, uh, not, you know, they may be doing things that are not allowed in their, uh, their rental contract or their rental agreement. Um, then we, mm-hmm. we intake them and we ask, and we do ask many, many questions to make sure that it's not just a, a landlord or a tenant that is mad at the other. Right. We, we make sure right. to actually get both sides and make sure that this is something that know we might need to intervene in or or provide support in any way right sometimes people just need to vent and they're actually like okay you know what i may have been you know um a little bit angry about this let me think about this and they solve it or it might be yes we do actually need to intervene um again with uh we also do uh hold workshops for both tenants and landlords so that they know their rights and they know their responsibilities and Uh, in having these rental units. Um, And then something that has been innovative for us is it's illegal to discriminate against Section 8, Um, but a lot of landlords uh, who we think of as the CDC as actually small business owners because they have this rental unit and it is a a revenue stream, but they also have, again, responsibilities to these tenants. So Mm -hmm. um, we, um, we will sometimes go through and find, you know, places or advertisements that are actually saying they will not accept Section 8, which is legal. And so we, um, we w- actually want to work with them. Sometimes we'll email them or call them and say, hey, I, you know, we're with the CDC, we just wanna make sure that you know that it's actually illegal to say this uh, or to be biased in any way. And sometimes that's the end of it. Or uh, sometimes we actually do have to take them to small claims court. And instead of actually going actively against right the landlord, we try and find deals, so we'll say, "How about you know, you pay a fifty or a hundred dollar fee um, that goes into this fund to help people, um, and in turn, you all you have to do is take this uh, tenant or this um, landlord workshop, so that you understand why it's uh, damaging to discriminate against Section Eight. Not only is it illegal, right, but we also just want right. to educate them so that they know, you know, these are people's lives, and you're you're affecting it by not." You know technically following the rules um and is so that we, been
0: successful
2: it has been extremely successful yeah Good. we you know that uh that is with our rental advisor and um but they uh have been at talks and they've actually worked with the city and the city really really likes that idea of like instead of right you're not just punishing someone that's not what we're looking to do we're looking to educate and so by reframing this it you know it's it's uh uh enlightening for everyone
0: Yes, because by educating someone, history might not be repeated then.
2: Exactly, yeah. And sometimes they may have more than one unit. And so by, you know, educating them once, now you've affected three or four units.
0: Right, right. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the Creaser Business Incubator?
2: Yeah, so it's actually pronounced crecer. Uh, And so the reason for that is it means uh, to grow in Spanish. So we're trying to grow businesses. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we did, uh, the season one of, uh, Crecer last year, um, with two businesses. It was, a, like a Mexican artisanal shop. Uh, and then one was an artist. Uh, and so we, the way that we work with businesses is that we, um, will put a master lease under our name and then we will write everything. All the utilities are under our name as well. And what we'll do is the first three months, uh, is free. And then the the, addition, the next three months, um, they pay 25% of rent. The next, it's 50. The last three months, they pay 75% of the rent. And then from there, um, throughout every single month, they'll do training on marketing, on HR, on making sure that they have their own guidelines or workbooks, that they um, are you know, bringing their costs either the same or down, or just making sure that they're building a sustainable business through, throughout these different, um, educational workshops. Um,
0: so this is for people wanting to start a business.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's either starting a business or, uh, if they already have an existing business and, um, they're look, you know, we like to create pipelines at the CDC. And so maybe, um, they, we discovered them for the Mercado series and they sell X product. Um, but that product is so successful and we see something in them that they have all their stuff, they have their permitting, they pay on time for these event series. Okay. Well, then, you know, we talk to them and say, hey, we would really like you to apply to the Crescent Incubator. Well, now they can move into a, uh, a part of a storefront. So like for season two, we, uh, we have rented an old coffee shop and we're actually having five businesses inside of it. So we have a bookstore, we have a jewelry shop, we have a snack shop, uh, a, a new coffee shop, and um, one that does, again, artisanal goods. And so mm-hmm. we, we split it up the rent between those five as well. And now they have an opportunity to test this out uh, on a longer-term basis as opposed to a one-time event. And ideally, right. they would, again, that would present into, now they can eventually rent their own storefront that they own by themselves. Uh, and then in you know later down the road, they can come back to us and say, they, we've been so successful, this is a long-term business. I would like to purchase my own storefront. Can you help me with Mm -hmm. that? Right. And so it's creating a, a a journey for them to eventually at an end point where now they're building wealth
0: and you're building uh, stability in the community.
2: Right. -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. These businesses that are lasting here a long time. Right. And then eventually, even after that, it goes, we don't want you to run your business. We want you to be able to manage your business and now they get Mm -hmm. their free time. And again, if they want to retire, which they are more than welcome to do, or if they want to continue to do it, or pass it down to their kids, or whatever, um, now this business is an institution. It can stay in the community for a really long time um, because it's been so successful and sustainable.
0: Brightness has a good, a good, strong foundation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: So one other thing I'd like to ask you about, Fabian, is about the Northwest Side CDC's participation in Chicago alfresco program.
2: Yes. Um, yeah, that's a very exciting initiative um, where, um, you know, for for context, um, during the pandemic, uh, the city created this alfresco permitting process and outdoor dining where you could create a temporary dining experience outside, if your sidewalk was big enough, uh, if you had the mm-hmm. space or you maybe even had an alleyway um, where now instead of going inside, um, you know, and, and potentially being harmful with the, with COVID-19, you could sit outside and, and be within guidelines. And what they found was that it was so successful and people loved eating outside um, that they were figuring out, okay, how can we make this permanent? And so then you could apply for an outdoor dining that was long-term um, and that was uh right again next your business right but i think the problem with that is one not every location or not every place in in chicago has wide enough uh sidewalks because as the city has it right there are strict guidelines and permitting processes for everything and um and also it wasn't equitable right so one business might have a bigger sidewalk and they can serve their community or they may actually just have the money and now they have their own dining experience versus with the Chicago Alfresco program, it was a way for community organizations to be able to find spots for permanent outdoor dining that served more than one business. So, and I, that was actually one of the requirements. It could not be for one business. It had to serve multiple or an entire strip. Um, that way everybody could, could create this and it was creating more public spaces. And so mm-hmm. the CDC jumped on that opportunity. We, we clearly wanted something like that. And, and uh, we drove in our executive director's car To every single uh, like nook and cranny street alleyway, I'm trying to find a location, and we found that it we actually one didn't have we we don't have like these clusters of businesses like Milwaukee where you know it's end to end it has businesses, Um, but also we just didn't like our sidewalks are not big enough Uh, unfortunately our neighborhood is very car centric at the moment and that means small sidewalks and large um streets um mm-hmm. and you know that that's too dangerous for people but we worked with our local one of our local alderman aldermanic offices and they were saying hey what about this little nub um that's kind of surrounded by streets but it's it's not being served and it's, it's next to residents um and so we looked at it and we were like this is a perfect spot and we started to think about how do we flip this on its head? And so instead of creating an outdoor dining experience that served existing businesses, what if instead we created an outdoor dining experience and we brought in businesses? And so very much to the Hispanic and Latino culture, there's a lot of street food. There's uh, right there's a liolote cart, there's tacos, there's um, different foods that you can get while you're walking around in these walkable cities. And mm-hmm. so we thought, what if we created spots for our street vendors, for our people to be able to serve food um, in a safe way, but also now uh, instead of just creating an outdoor dining experience in the middle of it, we're actually creating a park. We're calling calling it La Placita. And so now we're also creating a public space for the community to be able to enjoy. And we have a stage and we're gonna get a sound system and we have grassy areas and seating and, Right now, now everybody gets to enjoy it as opposed to it just being used for commercial purposes as a dining experience.
0: And has that been completed
2: uh, at the moment? No. Um, so we we have been very ambitious with the project that we're doing. And so it's not just seats and tables uh, and maybe a little bit of gating. It is again, it's staging, it's creating yeah. the slots so that um, the um, food cart vendors can actually put their food cart and it fits in perfectly. It's creating a sustainable and long-lasting public space as opposed to, um, right, something that might not, exactly, yeah. And that was our our pitch, right? It originally was going to be a temporary one to two year activation and the city loved it so much and Chu Chicago who funded part of it loved it so much that they were like, we want to make this permanent. Give us some time Uh, we're gonna delay it a little bit but we want this to be something that's for your community and that lasts longer than all of us. Um, and it so, sounds
0: like a great idea.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, and so, you know, we at the moment it has not been built, but we're looking to do a grand unveiling in 2023.
0: Oh, okay. Not yes. too, and, not too and, long. Not too right. Long.
2: Yeah. And with that, of course, more special events. Like we could, we would love to do farmers markets. We would love to do um, food truck or just food, uh, you know, food tastings. And then uh, also like uh, just a summer concert series as well.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the podcast so far. We don't want to lose any of the story of Chicago Cares or the Northwest Side CDC. So we're going to make this a two-part episode. Be sure to come back next week to hear part two.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center.